0: The following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Mm-hmm. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Um, um, yes, <laughs> sorry. Um, we back in 2 uh, Timothy chapter 1 this morning in the page n- 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 995 in a pew bible um we're going to look at um uh we're going to look at a few of the verses that are um most special to me personally This morning, verses three through five of second Timothy one. And I'll give you that disclaimer, uh, ahead of time because it might be more challenging to get through this morning. Um, But I have tissues on either side. I'm ready to go. (laughs) Second Timothy one, three through five. Paul writes, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. <clears throat> as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm, <clears throat> I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Well, Yeah, right? Hey, this even (laughs) says my name on (laughs) me. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for your word. We're thankful that it's living and active. We're thankful for your spirit that quickens our hearts. And interpret your word to us. We pray now, Lord, that you would do that work again. That we would hear from you, not from me. That you would help us to grow in our faith or begin a journey in faith. We give you this time for your glory and our good in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, the apostle paul um has a has a reputation for being kind of a stern and cold academic and that his letters um were just doctrinal in nature and uh, mostly concerned with practice and not to people but i don't think that's true and i hope that that has been clear and evident uh in our work through paul's letters and I think these verses here this morning are great um, evidence that uh, Paul does have great concern for people, not just about practice. Now, Paul, of course, is uh, concerned with good doctrine and sincere faith, um, but his but his motives were not just. To As if to say, uh, the teaching of the church must be right and pure so that the institution that we call the church and its doctrine may be upheld and preserved accurately until Christ's return. I think Paul's concern was not just about preserving the institution. I think that his concern was for the faith of people. And we often get caught in this trap. And I know I'm guilty of it myself, thinking that the church uh, is just its buildings and its services and its programs and activities. Um, And while those things are not bad in and of themselves, they certainly aren't the church. Um, The people are the church. We are the church. Right? If this building were to burn down, the church would not be destroyed. We'd just all cram into my living room or something, a fire station or something, we figure it out, right? It's not uh, it's not the church is not hung on buildings and, and stuff. In our in our text this morning, Paul is concerned with people, specifically one, Timothy. But the things that he says to Timothy in these few verses can and should shape the way the church as a people work and relate to one another. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Now, I think there's probably a a lifetime worth of sermon there, Um, There's so much going on. English is a a bummer, the English language. It's really the struggle to catch all that's going on in the original languages. Because I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience. Okay, big deal. But Paul says more than that. It's not, I wrote, got a thank you note on your behalf, you know, for, for your whatever Christmas gift. Right. He says, I experience a state of thankfulness to God as I remember you and mention you in my constant prayer. Now, I think that's different. I think say thank you is one thing. Thanks. But experiencing a state of gratitude is something different, something more. Have you ever been overwhelmed by a sense of gratitude for to God for something or someone? Now, this usually only if we 're honest, it only takes place when we stop and think about things for half a second, right, but when we just roll on through. We throw out thanks, 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 you know. But um, when we stop and think about things, we can experience a state of thankfulness. I'm thankful for my wife and for my kids and for my church family and my home, of course. But when I actually stop and think about it for half a second... I am overwhelmed by a state of thankfulness. That's how it works. I challenge you, try it out. And there are plenty of bucks of tissues around. Uh, it, that's what happens, a byproduct. It's not a bad thing. Now, this is how Paul thought of Timothy, his son in the faith. As he sat in the Memertine prison, remember we talk about that, a deep, dark, wet hole in the ground, waiting for death. So he had a little time on his hands to think about things. He had time to really think about Timothy. And even though he was in a hole, uh, waiting for his sentence of death, he was overwhelmed and experienced a state of Gratitude and thankfulness for Timothy and he wasn't just thankful to the universe didn't thank his lucky stars he had the good fortune to meet Timothy that one day <laughs> it wasn't just good fortune that brought Paul and Timothy together it was the God that Paul served and his his ancestors or his forefathers served as well that brought them together I think this uh Interesting word. Uh, ancestors. Because, uh, when you think Paul ancestor, who's that? Well, right, Paul was Jewish, is a Pharisee. And when the, they talk about the ancestors, who's that? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, right? The Old, the Old Testament. But that's not the word that Paul uses. If that's what he meant, if he meant Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, he would have used a word that's different than what we here. He would have used the patriarch. He's thinking specifically of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's not the word that he used. Um, he used a word uh, that this should say, "I thank God whom I serve, as did my progenitors," because that's what it meant, which is a different word, perhaps than you're used to using. What is the difference between my uh, the patriarchs and my progenitors? Progenitors is ancestors, only a few generations removed. He's not talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's talking about his dad and his granddad. (laughs) Sorry. His great granddad. That's who he's talking about. Not Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're great. They are. But Paul is using much more close relation. That's why he used a different word. This is why English is a bummer. When you think of your ancestors, you know, you don't think of mom and dad, granddad. Maybe you do. Well, I think this is important for two reasons. First of all, it points out that in fact, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a little reminder that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. Jesus is the hope of Israel, whose coming the saints of the Old Testament look forward to in faith. You can't say, well, how do you get saved in the Old Testament? Jesus hadn't been born yet. They hadn't started celebrating Christmas. Well, uh, Jesus was first mentioned in Genesis, right? He's all through the Old Testament. And those folks... We're looking forward in faith to the Messiah coming. We get to look backwards. They got to look forwards. Following Christ Jesus, the Son of God, is following the faith of his forefathers and those who look forward to Christ's coming. That's a beautiful thing for Paul to say, to be able to say, This also means that rejecting the Son means rejecting the Father. And this is important. Jesus said in John fifteen eighteen, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. That's pretty important. And the second thing that Paul's reference to his forefathers points out is the familial nature of faith. Now, even though earlier in Paul's life, he thought that persecuting the church was offering a service to God. As Jesus said in John sixteen two, he said, The hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. That's Jesus talking about Paul. They never met, but Jesus knew. Paul still learned the foundations of faith and the nature of Father God from his earthly fathers. And because of the forgiveness he found in faith in Jesus Christ, he could say that he now served God with a clear conscience. Just as Paul learned faith from his family, Timothy learned faith from his. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Just as Paul first saw faith exhibited in his family, so also Timothy saw faith exhibited in his own. This is so special to me because it's, um, it's a heritage that I share as well, specifically when it comes to the faith of my mom and my nana and, and how they pass the heritage of faith on to me and my children. J.P. Lang wrote, By the recollection of the tears of Timothy, already is Paul's heart touched. And the joy which he desires most of all is to behold once more the the face of his friend and disciple. The man who in his mission plans embraced the whole Jewish and Gentile world has at the same time an open eye for individual family relationships and can comprehend the little world of the hidden life of faith of a few modest provincial people. The teacher who could secure from his youthful disciple the recognition of his apostolic authority did not think it beneath his dignity to call up before his vision the kindly image of his mother and grandmother. The apostle whose gaze lost itself in the far future abandoned himself with evident satisfaction to the friendly friendly reminiscences of a beautiful past. So in this heavily sentimental passage, at least sentimental to me, I can see two ministries that are far above all others and that we could possibly participate in. The two ministries, the ministry of prayer and the ministry of the gospel within our own families. The ministry of the gospel to our children and grandchildren trumps almost all responsibilities that we can have in this life. Teaching our kids about Jesus, about his love, about our sin, about his sacrifice on the cross, and his resurrection from the dead are absolutely paramount. Now, I want to tell you, I really do, I want to tell you that if you just do that, Just tell your kids about Jesus, about saving faith in Christ, that if you believe in Jesus, your kids will believe in Jesus and will never walk away from him. I want to tell you that. I want to tell you that if you raise a child in the way he should go, when he's old he will not turn from it. The trouble is proverbs are not promises. What I can say is that if your faith in Christ goes beyond just simply agreeing with facts and alignment with proper philosophies, if your faith in Jesus is not just a belief in Jesus, but a real and growing trust in the person, the living Son of God, your children will see that. If your faith in Jesus is an authentic trust in the person of Jesus, if it is seen as real, they will acknowledge that it is real and be far more likely to follow the Lord themselves because it's not fake. But, if they see that your faith in Jesus is just an add-on to your life, just another plate to spin. If they perceive from your behavior and words that you only do the Jesus thing when it's convenient and appropriate, if church becomes a drudgery to you, it certainly will to them. And you can count on them not personally trusting Jesus because they see you don't really either. Now, I don't say that so that those of you who have children who don't walk with the Lord can feel guilty. That's not the point. At the end of the day, every person is responsible for their own faith in Christ. And you can't blame someone else, and you can't blame yourself if people don't walk with the Lord. The Holy Spirit works, and he is in you, but you are not him. He can work, regardless of what your life is like. However, we have responsibility for displaying our trust in Christ, not just carrying the label of Christian around. It's not a political party that we've joined or a team that we root for. Jesus is a person that we trust and we follow and display that for the world to see, especially the little world that lives inside of our house. Just as faith in Christ should be central in our lives, it should also be central to raising our families. Whether you're a parent or a grandparent or adopted grandparent or adopted parent or grandparent, faith and family go hand in hand. There should be no greater joy in our lives than as 3rd John 4 says, knowing that our children walk in the truth. Now, to those of you who don't have children at home or grandchildren around, there are plenty here, so you can adopt some. I'll send some home with you today, (laughs) if you want. I would challenge you, come alongside those that are in the midst of raising families and bless them with your help and with your wisdom and with your prayer. And that's the second ministry here in this passage. The first ministry is the ministry of the gospel to our families, and the second is the ministry of prayer. And it doesn't matter if you have kids or grandkids or never met a kid before, you can still pray. Now remember Paul. He's left almost totally abandoned. Left in a deep, dark hole with no... Crowds to preach to, no gatherings of the church to teach, and no m- m- many ministry classes to run. He was still able to participate in the most powerful ministry, the ministry of prayer. Paul longed to see Timothy, that he would be filled with joy. But until that time, he continued to remember him by, in prayer, night and day. I think that prayer is a most powerful and most often neglected ministry within the church. I tell you about two people. I've had a very hard week this week. Uh a long story, but I've been under attack uh, by an individual. And it's something dumb, but it's really bothering me. And I wanted to stop, and that's my prayer, Lord, make it stop. This person, I don't want to hear from them anymore. I just want the trouble to end. But I was reminded of Jesus' words Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies, right? This person's not really my enemy, just an annoying circumstance. But I started to pray for them instead of pray against them. Protect me from them. How about maybe change a prayer to change their heart? Lord speak to them. They need you as much as I do. It's, anyway. That's the wonder story. I started to pray that way. I didn't hear from them again. So I'm thankful for <laughs> thankful for that. But I'm not guaranteed that happened for you. Just saying it's the way it's gone this week. But there's another person who's on the opposite end of the spectrum. A dear saint that I know her name Her name is Margie, Margie Swan, Margie Swan. Her children and grandchildren are grown and gone. I think she has great, maybe even great, great grandchildren. I don't know. Just a a dear, sweet little old lady. And she will often say to me, I can't do much, but I can still pray, I have you on my little list. Those are my favorite words. I have you on my little list. Now I guarantee that little list is longer than your arm. (laughs) What a powerful ministry this dear lady has lifting people up to the Most High God and bringing their needs before the one and the only one who can meet them. This is a three-tissue day, folks. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. John Calvin wrote about this verse. He says, "...Hence we see how great was his steadfastness in prayer." Paul's steadfastness. "...And yet he affirms nothing about himself, but what Christ recommends to all his followers." We ought, therefore, to be moved and inflamed by such examples to imitate them, so far, at least, that an exercise so necessary may be more frequent among us. If anyone understand this to mean the daily and nightly prayers which Paul was one to offer at stated hours, there will be no impropriety in that view. Though I give a more simple interpretation... That there was no time that he was not employed in prayer. Praise God for those mums and dads, those nanas and grandpies who have passed on faith in Christ to their children and their grandchildren. And praise God for those saints who steadfastly pray night and day for help and strength, for hope and faith for those that they love and even those they don't. So our challenge, let's be like that. Let's make sure our faith in Christ, first of all, is real. And that it's at work in all aspects of our lives together as a family. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, family is a wonderful gift. We're, we're really glad that you made it this way. I am. I thank you for the faith that was passed on uh, to me by my grandparents and my parents and I'm thankful for all of those who have passed their faith on to others in this way within their own families of course there's place for preaching the gospel to people you don't know or to friends and neighbors or whatever but Lord what a wonderful ministry this is to pass on faith to our own family God, I'm so grateful for those people in my life and for these people here and those listening and the role that they can play or have played or are continuing to play in passing on faith to generations after them. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful design of your church being a family. That though we may not be related by our own blood, we are related by your blood. And we can pray for one another and help and pass on faith to the next generations. And we're thankful for that ministry. So Lord, I pray that our faith would be real, that our trust in you would be in you, not just in a system, not just in a club we call a church but in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love for us. And pray that we'd be a blessing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipede, New Hampshire, 03890.